All right. Well, good, uh, good evening. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be in the book of James. If you would turn there in your Bible, James chapter 3. <clears throat> I joked with Hoyt this week um, as he left for Bandon last Friday. He was, he was going to stop by the church and give me his commentaries and all the things on 1 John so we could continue on 1 John. So yeah, bring him down. I'll, I'll keep going with that. I know Dave was doing something different and that's okay. And, and those commentaries just never showed up on my desk. And so I had to give him a bad time. I said, I can't really teach that. I'll teach something different. And, but you guys have a good time over there. So we are, um, I just really felt, uh, uh, let, me, let me start off where I'm at. I, uh, we, I'm doing a, a book, a discipleship book. Um, and I, I've really come to love this, this author and his, his, what he says. And um, I'm using this book as a tool uh, to disciple uh, other, other men, and, and young men and just men in their faith. And it's, it's called, I'll, I'll hold it up for you guys, it's called The Disciplines of a Godly Man. Um, and it's, it's by Kent Ross, or R. Kent Ross, and uh, I, or Hughes, sorry, Kent Hughes. Um, I, I really, really just love, uh, he doesn't pull any punches, he's, he's very uh, upfront about things, but it really goes through some, some great issues, some great things, especially for men, but for all of us in disciplinary uh, issues, and uh, of just being disciplined in our faith, disciplines of a godly man. There's his wife, uh, authored the book Disciplines of a Godly Woman. So that's available, and I know um, some of our women are going through that also uh, in discipleship just, just because it's a great tool and a resource. So I would recommend, if you need something like that, you can uh, check that out on Amazon, but I, I would recommend the book. But what I'm going to do tonight is kind of, uh, because of, of this book and going through it, it certainly, as I disciple others, it, it convicts me, right? It convicts me in my own walk with Christ. So uh, I, I found ways I can hear that I just, I want to change, I want to be better. I shared a little bit of it last week when we were talking about taming the tongue uh, during our Q&A time. But I, so tonight, it's, it's going to come off of Dave's talk last week of, of James chapter 3. Uh, we're going to cover some of that again, but I, I think there's some ways we can look at some of the destructiveness of the tongue and how, how it is destructive and, and how we can avoid uh, the destructiveness of the tongue, okay? So we're in James chapter 3. Uh, I want to go ahead and read the text 1 through 12, uh, and then we'll, we'll do some talking here and uh, ask some questions, and then um, just get, get more uh, deep, deep into that. So chapter 3, verse 1, says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. Now, I want to stop right there. There's, it talks about teachers, and, and, and we shouldn't all aspire to be teachers because there's going to be strict judgment over that. And that's, that's a, a verse I hold very dear and true. That's a burden that I carry as a teacher of the Word of God, and I, I need to be accountable to, to the Lord Jesus. I will have a stricter judgment for what I teach. Right? I'm responsible for what I teach. But then he, he goes on, James says, we all stumble in many ways. Is, is he talking about teachers here? What's he talking about? Yeah, everyone, right? All the brothers and sisters, right? We all stumble in many ways, right? And, and so acknowledging that as a teacher, man, we all stumble in many ways. That means me too. I'm not perfect. You get that, right? I, I will stumble in many ways. So we have to be on guard and watch. Then he talks about really kind of the seed of some of this stuff uh, and, and where, where a lot of it comes from. He says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. So he talks about now in what he says. He is mature, uh, able also to control the whole body. So something, there's a connection here between the spoken word and the whole body. And I've said it a lot of times before, and it's kind of a thing for my own, my own kids, and my own life, my own heart. Um, the, the tongue is the tattletale of what? The heart, right? Exactly. The tongue is the tattletale of the heart. It, it tells on you every time. 
And, and it really tells on you when you hit your thumb with a hammer, right? It really tells on you when someone angers you or pushes you around or you get, when, some, when, when you've been offended in some way, right? It tells on you. It tells exactly what's in your heart. So listen, I, we, we can't give ourselves a license to, to swear or to put someone down because we were hurt and bent out of shape and they deserved it. Uh, what comes from our heart, it comes out in our tongue and our tongue tells on it. So when he says, if you're able to, to keep your, um, control your tongue, you're also able to control the whole body because it's telling on the body. If you're able to control your tongue, your, your body is in check. Um, now, if we, and he goes on to talk about the power here. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Now a tongue is a fire, or, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But, the one, uh, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessings and curse come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt water or uh, salt water produce, uh, yield any fresh water. Okay, so let, we're going to dive into that in a minute. This is a really powerful part of Scripture and, and something that I think we really need to, to check ourselves and, and evaluate ourselves. But I want to read a, a part of this book. I just, I couldn't, I could probably sum it up, but I wouldn't do it justice. So I want to read this. Um, okay, Does anyone, is anyone familiar with or know what the Boxer Rebellion had to do with or was? The Boxer Rebellion, or something we learn in history, right? And no one, I know I wouldn't be like that. I wouldn't be brave and say, I know either. I don't, I'll, I'll read it to you though. Yeah, I used to, right? When it was on the test that one year in seventh grade, I nailed it. But after that, I'm like, uh, so I read this. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. This, this story, actually, the author um, cites uh, Paul Harvey, right? Paul Harvey is famous for what? The rest of the story, right? He, he told us the rest of the story. I loved his stories. I remember uh, listening to Paul Harvey. Probably the first time was, uh, was that I really found him compelling was when I didn't have anything else to listen to, right? I was in the middle of uh, eastern Montana on a hunting trip with my family, and we can get a few radio stations, but I remember being in the truck, and we would, we would drive out to a looking place and, and glass for antelope and, and deer and stuff, and we'd, we'd sit in the truck or near the truck, and the only radio station we could get is whatever came on and it, and here, and it was the radio station that was Paul Harvey, so I, we listened to a lot of the rest of the stories over and over again, and I, I was like, wow, that's, that's really amazing, right? I would listen to something else back home. But I started listening to more Paul Harvey, and I really, I really loved it. But so here, here's the story as it goes. In 1899, four reporters from Denver, Colorado, met by chance on a Saturday night in a Denver railroad station. Al Stevens, Jack Turney, John Lewis, and Hal Wilshire worked uh, for the four Denver newspapers, The Post, The Times, The Repub Republican, and The Rocky Mountain News. Each had an, an, uh, the unenviable task of finding a scoop for the Sunday edition. They hoped to spot a visiting celebrity arriving that evening by train. However, none showed up. 
So the reporters wondered what on earth they would do. As they discussed options in the nearby station, Al suggested they make up a story. The other three laughed at first, but before long, they were all agreed. They would come up with such a whopper that no one would even question it, and their respective editors would congratulate them on their find. A phony local story would be too obvious, so they decided to write some, uh, about someplace far away. Granted, this was 1899. Uh, they agreed on China. What if we say something, uh, or say that some American engineers on their way to China told us that they were bidding on a major job. The Chinese government is planning to demolish the Great Wall. Right? Oh, that's, there you go. Harold uh, was not, not sure that the story would be, would be believable. Why would the Chinese government ever tear down the Great Wall of China? As a sign of international goodwill to invite foreign trade, was the answer. By 11 p.m., the four reporters had worked out the details, and the next day, all four Denver newspapers carried the story on the front page. The Times headline on Sunday read, Great Chinese Wall Doomed, Peking Seeks World Trade. Of course, the story was a ridiculous tale made up by four opportunistic newsmen in a hotel bar. But amazingly, their story was taken seriously and soon ran in newspapers in the eastern U.S. and even abroad. As the story goes, when the citizens of China heard that the Americans were sending a demolition crew to dismantle the Great Wall, most were indignant, even enraged. Particularly angry were a member of a secret society made up of Chinese patriots who were against any kind of foreign intervention. Moved to action by the news story and other events, they attacked the foreign embassies in Peking and murdered hundreds of missionaries from abroad. In the next two months, 12,000 troops from six countries working together invaded China to protect their countrymen. The bloodshed of that time, exacerbated by the journalistic hoax fabricated in a saloon in Denver, had been known, has been known ever since as the Boxer Rebellion. Tongue, tongue and the words are pretty powerful, aren't they? It's amazing what, what we can do with that. I, I remember uh, something Gary Vandewalker had taught a long time ago, and just, just the power of, of tongues and cho- even choices, but the power of the tongue. And, and, and we can't take things back, right? I told my son the other day where he has this tendency to take, take toothpaste and put too much toothpaste on his toothbrush, right? Have you, have you heard this before about toothpaste? That words are like toothpaste. Once they come out, it can't go back in. Right? It's not going back in. And I have to tell him that. Like, Wesley, it's like our words. Our words are the same. Once we have words come out of our mouth, they can't go back in. Toothpaste is the same. You're wasting toothpaste. I can't get it back in the thing, right? Really important to know that. But words are really powerful. But Gary Vandewalker said, he, he was up, up on the, he says, imagine being up on, the, on the, uh, the Continental Divide, right? The Rocky Mountains, the Continental Divide. And the Continental Divide in the United States goes kind of through Colorado and, and Wyoming and Montana, right? It goes up, up into Canada and down into Mexico. It's, it's a huge, long divide. What does it divide? What does a continental divide divide? The west, west and east, the continent, right? It divides the continent from the west and east. It's kind of like, okay, that's, that's where it goes. But what does it mean to divide from the west and east? It, it, it's all about water flow, right? It's, it's the high, so everything from the continental divide, everything on that, that's, that you, if you're sitting there, I'm looking towards Mexico, right, and, and behind me is Canada, and I, I have a pool of water at the top of the Continental Divide in this little, little basin, and I, I push some over this edge, where's it going to go? Out down the Missouri River and head out to the Gulf of Mexico, right? right? That's, it's going to go that way. If I push it the other way, where's it going to go? Out to the Pacific Ocean, 
right? Now, that's pretty drastic. It's probably going to seep into the, into the groundwater, and it's going to stay there. But that's the power, right? Just a little bit of this, it just it forces that whole thing where it goes. It, there's, a, there's a lot of power behind the tongue, right? There's a lot of power behind the tongue. What did James say here? What, what were some of the illustrations he, he gave? What's that? A ship in its rudder, right? The boat will go where the pilot steers it, right? Because the pilot is in control of the rudder. And it doesn't matter if it's a little dinghy or a schooner or if it's the USS Enterprise. It turns with the rudder, right? It goes where the pilot navigates that ship. What was the other example we saw? A fire, like a spark, right? It lights a forest fire, a little tiny spark lights a blaze. And it's, it's, we talked about it last week even. I mean, when we talk about this verse in this season, it's very, very applicable, isn't it? All around us, we have people being evacuated. We have people uh, smoke all around, fires all around, and it's, it's everywhere. We know that the damage that a fire can cause. We have to be extra vigilant not to spark those fires. What was the third area he, he said he mentioned? It was actually the first one, but a horse, a bit in a horse's mouth, right? You, you put a, a little bit, and I'm, I'm amazed. You know, my, my wife is a, is a horse lady, horsewoman. Was that the right word for it? Let's, yes, let's say that. So she loves horses, right? She, she trains horses, she rides horses, and, and I've, I've ridden, and I'm, I like doing that, and it's amazing that you can control a horse with a bridle, right? With a, with a bit and a bridle. Um, I, but I'm amazed by the power that, that, that rider has over this huge animal that is totally powerful, right? So it's small but powerful. The tongue is small but powerful. The idea would be who controls the bridle, who controls the rudder, Controls the horse, controls the ship, right? That, they have the control and power over that. So uh, we see that. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Uh, or, or let's go on, well, 2. Uh, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's mature and also able to control their whole body. It says, now if we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we direct their whole body. Consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body, but boasts great things, right? It, there's a lot of power behind that, of what we say and, and how, we, how we say things. Um, I, the next thing, so we see it's powerful. The next thing I want to see about the tongue is that it's, it, it, there's, it's destructiveness. How is the tongue destructive, right? And he goes on there in verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. He didn't say the tongue's a bit. He didn't say the tongue is a rudder. He says powerful as those things. But he said what? The tongue is a fire. Uh, lost my place. Yeah, the tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of the, uh, of the life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's amazing that there's this, this it, again, the tattletale shows, first of all, as, as sinful people, right? After the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, we've been separated from God, right? And sin entered the world, death entered the world, and now we are, our bodies are members of unrighteousness, and they have to be redeemed. And God, guess, guess what? God's in the redemption business. So he's ready to redeem. He wants to redeem. But apart from God, apart from the power of the Spirit, it says no one can tame the tongue, right? We can tame animals and, and, and make them dance and roll over and do what we want them to do and play dead, but we cannot tame the tongue, right? Because it, it tells exactly what's going on in the heart. I think that I would even argue there are sometimes some people who, who can fake it. They, they, can, they can be quiet enough or, or, or not, not say the words they, they are thinking, right? And, and you think, oh, maybe they're okay. Maybe they're put together. But when push comes to shove, 
the tongue will always win. So we have to have someone greater that will win over the tongue for us and win over certainly our hearts. We talked about that a little bit last week as well. So there's destructiveness. I want to look at some, this is kind of the difference between Dave's talk and and mine today. Um, I want to look at some ways that the tongue is destructive, all right? Um, First thing, I want to to ask a question, though. Um, Which image of the tongue in James 3 speaks most poignantly to you? Which one, which one resonates the most with you? Which image? The bit? Okay, why? Of your mouth, sure. I think the, the interesting of the bit also is it's in the horse's mouth, Right? So rudder's on the bottom of the boat, but, it, but we, when we talk about tongue, it talks about mouth. So yeah, it kind of makes a little more sense that way. What else? Someone else, another image re- resonate with them? Yeah. Sure, yeah, the, the fire... Right, creates a lot of strife, for sure. I, I think I resonate most with that image as well. I, I think, I think I, maybe I didn't used to. I just thought, oh, wow, words are have, they have power, and they're like a rudder, and it's great. But when, when we get from the horse's bit and out of the rudder and into the fire illustration, it re- what is it really showing? That the tongue is not just powerful, it is destructive. And to me, we have, we have to understand that. It's not just powerful, it's destructive. We have to be so conscious of that. And even so, for me to admit, with my children, right, I, I am trying so hard, so hard, right, to just let my words be few, let my words be gentle, let my words be compassionate, let my words still be truth and discipline. But, but I remember the other day I was, I was with my kids and um, they, were, they were doing something upstairs and they needed to clean up and pick up their stuff. And I, I just gently said to upstairs, hey, you know, I was talking to the kids, hey, Bailey, can, we need to please pick up our toys and put them away and make sure you put your things back in the dollhouse. And she snapped back with a real harsh, like, what do you mean? I don't know what even she said, but it was harsh. I said, Bailey, daddy is speaking to you kindly and graciously and compassionately. I would want you to spek to me that way too. We're, we don't have to be harsh. We can have a conversation. That's a, we say that a lot in our house. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk, right? Not this angry. One of the things, this, this is uh, my son. My son, it's interesting how our, our kids are so different, right? And most, most time, at least, at least I know my brother and I were different, and my daughter and my son are, are different in many, many ways. My son is quick to get angry. I mean, just just snaps it, right? And, and it's, I want to say this, it's, it's not always, and he doesn't do that in public, he doesn't, or, or, or unless he's with us, like in a grocery store, but he doesn't do that with, like in his school class, he, he's like a model student and citizen everywhere else, my kids are model people, right, but at home, of course, there's a little more vulnerability there and transparency, and we have to guide and learn, so I'm not saying my kids are, are horrible, um, but he's quick to, quick to anger, so one of the things we've been working on this last few weeks, I, I told, told the verse, even what we said last week, right, every one of us, my dear brothers and sisters, should be what, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Guess what verse my, my kids are memorizing? Right? I, I brought them over and said, listen, we're, here's our verse this week. This is our verse. Every one of us should be quick to listen. 
Like, and we talked about what that means. What does it mean to be quick to listen? That the first thing we should do is, is be quiet and make sure we're listening to the person. Yes, we should listen to the person that's, that's talking, right? Okay, what, what, what's the next one? I want to be quick to listen and then slow to speak. Well, even if I have something to say, I shouldn't say it right away. Good. You should think about what you say, right? And then the last part was what? Everyone should be slow to speak and then slow to get angry. Slow to get angry. And, and we talked about that. And that, that's really more for my son. I mean, we, it's, it's for all of us. But he, that's where he struggles. Bailey struggles with, not, with speaking too quickly. Um, and so, Wesley, what does that mean? That I, that I have to think about it and I can't just, I can't just get angry. I have, to, I have to settle down. Yes, okay, so we talked about why. And because man's, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So, right, it has to be tied into this is not what Jesus wants us to be like. So cute the other day and, and so true. Of, uh, and we don't, I don't think we're ever this honest. Maybe we should be. My son comes up to me the other day because he had got quick to anger. I said, Wesley, be slow to anger. Daddy, yeah. I, you know what I wish? I wish that Bible verse about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry, I wish that wasn't in real life. <laughs> I know, son, me too. There are days I wish the same thing. But guess, but guess what? It is in real life, and it's what's honoring to God, and it's going to help you grow. Right? And what are we training him? What am, what am I what, training alongside him for? Not to let my tongue be a fire. Because what I say, it's powerful, but what I say can also spark a forest fire. And it just goes and just ignites and, and blows up. And it's an inferno, and it just destroys everything in its midst. In its midst. Um, so there's some ways it's destructive. One of the things uh, I wanted to, to look at, um, we'll go back to this. There was a, a really neat... Um, illustration here. I didn't really understand the destructive power and how, how it worked, but there's an illustration of a spider. Um, Walter Wengren, in his collection of short stories, um, turns to nature for a chilling metaphor of the tongue's power. He explains that a female spider is often a widow for embarrassing reasons. She regularly eats those who come her way. Lonely suitors and visitors uh, alike quickly become corpses. And her dining room is a morgue. A visiting fly, having become captive, will appear to be whole. But the spider has drunk his insides so that he has become his own hollow casket. That's not a pleasant thought, especially if you have a touch of arachnophobia, as I do. The reason for this, this uh, procedure is that the female spider has no stomach and is, uh, is, so, and so is incapable of digesting anything within her. Through tiny punctures, she injects her digestive juices into a fly so that his insides are broken down and turned into warm soup. This soup she swills, says Wengerin. Even as most of us, here's, here's the connection. Even as most of us swill souls of one another after having cooked them in various enzymes, of guilt or humiliation, um, make them subjects, cruel love. There are a number of fine acidic mixes that we use out of our tongues. And some among us are so skilled with the hypodermic word that our dear ones continue to sit up and smile quite as though they were still alive. You see, saying the power of the tongue is just like that of the power of the spider, like that just torture and, and dissolve the insides. And I, and, and I think that we can all relate to that in some way. 
And, and Dave said last week, right, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, is the biggest lie around, right? Words hurt. Words cause some deep, deep pain. So what are some of those ways that we, we need to be warned to not participate in destructive speech? Um, one section I want to talk about is gossip or slander. That's the first section, gossip or slander. Um, we see it in Proverbs chapter 18. I'm going to read several verses here. Um, Proverbs 18.8. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to the innermost being. What does that mean? What is it, why does, why does the, the, this author say that it's like choice food that goes down to the innermost being about gossip? Any ideas there? You're feeding it. Yeah? What else? Choice, mor- choice morsels, right? It's not a protein shake. What's that? Um, well, yeah, so you're a part of the gossip. What's a choice? Give me a choice morsel that you like. Chocolate? N- number one list, right? We were playing that family feud game. 89 people would have said chocolate, right? What else? What are the choice morsels? I love the burnt ends off a of brisket. They are choice morsels. Bacon's pretty good too, right? What else? What are choice morsels? Any, anyone like venison backstrap? Oh, man. Yeah, you get some of that in your freezer. You ration that out throughout the year. Right? You savor it. It melts in your mouth. You savor it. Now, listen, this is where, where it connects. We eat the morsels that we savor. And so if we savor gossip, what does that say about our heart? That it doesn't savor righteousness, doesn't savor compassion, it doesn't savor graciousness, it savors gossip, it savors slander, it savors hurt. Right, so it, this really comes down to a matter of the heart. What, what is the treasure of your heart? And we've talked about that a lot, even on Sunday mornings. As, as Christ followers, we have to examine our heart and say, what, what is it that I treasure? What is it that are, are choice morsels? What makes me feel good? We, we've been in, in scenarios where you, you have friends or people, family members, who will talk or say stories, or they want, they're the one-uppers, right? I've got a better story. I can, I, and it, you do this one-up thing all day long because they relish the fact of being better than somebody else, right? That's not what we should savor. We, our words should be few, and, the, and those morsels should be the nuggets of truth we find from God's Word and from our relationship with Christ. So gossip, a gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to the inner soul. Proverbs twenty nineteen: the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. They, they, he tied it in. Someone with a big mouth that's always doing this is a gossip. And, and they have these constant secrets they want to reveal. And, and they, they, they kind of hide it, don't they? Uh, they we, we say things like, have you heard, right? Or did you know? Oh, hey, uh, they tell me. Or, hey, keep this to yourself. But I, I, I've said that. I've caught myself saying that. If I ever say that, I'm like, no, sorry, I'm not going to say this. If, if, I, if, if you should keep it to yourself, then I should keep it to myself as well, right? Um, I, I don't believe this is true, but I heard that. Why, then why are you saying it? If you don't believe it's true, then don't say it. I don't, I don't believe it's true, but, right? Um, 
or I, I wouldn't tell you except I know that it won't go any further, right? What's the what's a famous one around Christian circles? Listen, I need to tell you what's that? Yes, I need to tell you something so you can pray about this. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one, right? I'm going to say it to the camera. Your mother would say, or someone would say to your mother, have you heard, right, and, and spill the beans? And your mother would say, uh, I, yes, I have, but I, I won't have to answer to God for passing it on. Yeah, yeah, but you will, <laughs> right? You will. Yeah, it's, uh, we, gossip, we just like gossip. We like, it's, it, it makes us feel good, and, and that's a problem. If we need elevation, if we need identity, if we need value from what we share about other people, we are searching for value in the wrong places, right? And, and it'll never be enough. We'll always need more. We'll always need the new scoop, the new skinny, and I'll, I'll call my friends to get it. And that's not what we should be about. We should be about what Christ wants us to be about. Proverbs 16, 28. So this constant gossip, what happens? Well, a contrary person spreads conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. So what is this person who can't help themselves because they're a constant gossip and it's just choice food to them? What happens with that? Well, they spread conflict. They spread conflict. And, and they separate close friends. I mean, think about your own relationship and your friendships. And we all have those relationships where we said something we shouldn't have said to somebody else about somebody that was dear to us and we needed to come and repent of that, right? And if we didn't repent and restore that relationship, we may not have that relationship anymore because of gossip, because of our choice for gossip, because of those choice morsels. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 16 says, avoid, avoid irreverent and empty speech. Avoid it, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Interesting how, how our words and what we choose to say have such a deep effect, right? Uh, don't Avoid it. Avoid that stuff. I, and I, I try to as hard as I can as best I can to be out of those situations, first to stop those situations, but then to get out of those situations. I don't want to be around that. I don't want, because I don't want this to produce more godlessness. What is, what is Paul writing to Timothy? He's saying, avoid that, because as that happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And what's it going to grow like? It's not, it's not this, oh man, there's this click over here. It, what do you liken it to? Gangrene. What is that? Dr. John, what is that? Dead tissue. And how do you take care of that? You cut it off. Or what? It will continue to die and die and die and die. And we will die. Could it be likened to a, well, it is. It's a, it's a, bac, it's a bacterial infection, isn't it? But could it be likened to a cancer? It's, it's like little yeast, right? It, it, it grows and invades and goes everywhere. Gangrene does that. So Paul had some pretty, pretty strong words about that. So gossip, and if we define gossip, gossip is what we say behind someone's back and would never say what? To their face, right? Well, here's the opposite one that sometimes we get in. So gossip's a bad one. That's like slandering someone behind their back. The next one's flattery. Flattery. If gossip is what we say behind someone's back and would never say to their face, then flattery is what we would say to their face that we would never say behind their back what we say about them to their face that we would never say about them behind their back. It's puffing them up and giving them false hope, false truth, false accolades 
right? That I would never tell somebody else that that's how they are, who they are. Flattery. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue, because it is a lie, right? A lying tongue hates those it crushes. And a flattering mouth causes ruin. Again, this destruction, this destructiveness of the tongue. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. We don't tend to say that, right? We don't tend to say when I'm flattering someone and, and just kind of being nice. We talked about that last week, the idea of, of saying, oh, your hair looks great, honey, or your, your, that dress doesn't make you look fat. Like the idea of flattery, this, this is it. What it's doing is saying, I'm, I'm, it's, I hate you. I, I, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. We wouldn't say that about ourselves, but that, that's, it's telling on our heart right there. And a flattering mouth causes ruin causes ruin. One of the biggest things that causes ruin when we lie, flattering people, the, the question comes back towards us. Can we actually be trusted? Can we be trusted? The words are so important that come out of our mouth. I, I talk to my children about that all the time. I, you, you don't lie to mom and daddy. I, I want you to tell the truth, and we will always have a conversation around the truth, but do not lie to mom and daddy. I want to be able to trust you, and you want, you want me to trust you as well. Right? There's an, a, a hope there, a trust. Proverbs 29.5, a person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. A person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. It's like, hey, you're doing a great job. Way to go. And this is so interesting, right? We could, we could say how great someone is, and it puffs them up, and they believe it. This is really dangerous. Because if we look at the gospel, what does the gospel say about human beings? They're not that great. You don't have it all together. You can't do it on your own. You'll never be able to measure up. Now, that's depressing, right? But we have to get to that place of utter despair to really see Christ as this great treasure, don't we? We see Christ as a great treasure because of, we are, of our hopelessness. If there's hope in you and your ability, I don't need Christ anymore, right? So that's what it says. You're setting a trap for somebody. You know, oh, you're doing good. You're doing a great job. Keep on, keep on being strong. Now, I, I, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of people in, in, in Christian circles who are pursuing Christ as their greatest treasure, are pursuing Christ as their solid rock, are pursuing Christ as their, as their, as their uh, firm foundation, right? That, that's where we go. We go to Jesus. And I'll, yes, I'll encourage you. Way to go. Way to go. You're doing great. Go to Jesus. Because without him, you're going to sink. Without him, I'm going to sink. That's the truth. So flattering people and telling them, oh, you're doing good, you're, you're a good person. And we even think, we, we, flatter, we flatter people and we flatter ourselves in it. Like my, my family, right? I'll, I'll talk about my family. Oh, maybe they don't know Jesus. They don't go to church. Well, there's, they, they, like, they like spiritual things, though. I think they're going to be okay. I'll see them in heaven one day. You're flattering yourself. You're flattering them and you're flattering yourself. The gospel says that we are all sinful and separated from God by our sin. And that that God, in God's grace and his mercy, he made a way for us to be forgiven and whole and free to stand before him unaccused. We justly should stand before him accused, but he offers forgiveness so that we can be white as snow. That's the gospel. Don't, don't flatter yourself saying, oh, my family's going to be okay if they don't have Jesus. No, they, they're not. There's not this, we, and in that flatter, we, we tend to take ourselves from this place of, all of us are kind of in neutral and then at some place we fall so far away that we're just doomed. Or, or we climb so high that we're saved. And the neutral ones will always kind of have, have a chance. I, I've said this recently. It's kind of my new description of humanity. All of humanity was on the same boat, same cruise ship, like the Titanic. It hit an iceberg. And guess what? Every single person's in the water. 
There's no neutral. Everyone's in the water. Some have life jackets, some have rafts. Or some have uh, doors like the Titanic, right? They can sit on this door, rows on the Titanic. Some don't know how to swim, some can swim. Some can tread water, some can't. Everyone's in the water. And the only way to get rescued is to get in Jesus' boat. That's the hope. So don't tell someone that's treading water, you're doing a great job, you're going to be fine. And not tell them about the boat they should hop, should hop in. There's the hope we have, right? Don't flatter people. Flattery sets traps. Proverbs 28, 30, 23. The one who rebukes a person <clears throat> will later find more favor than the one who flatters with his tongue. We like, we like to avoid conflict, right? That's what we, we tend to say. It. We kind of sugarcoat, oh, I, I like to avoid conflict. I get it. We, like to avoid, we don't like conflict. We don't like to call people out. We don't like to deal with hard things, so we avoid it. But we do that for the now, right? A flatterer is someone who does that with their tongue now. But a one who rebukes a person will, will later find more favor. I've, I've loved the people who have loved me enough to come to me with grace and compassion and call me out on the carpet and be critical about what, what I've done or how, what I've said so I can stop that and grow. I can restore relationships and grow. Those important things, right? I want to read Psalm 36, 1 through 3. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. Dread of God has no effect on him. For with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. That's what we just said, right? We, can, we flatter other people away from the gospel of Christ, away from rescue. Lots of people flatter themselves right, in, right away from Christ, right into the arms of Satan, right into the grip of hell. For with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity, his sin. The words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. How destructive are our words? How, how destructive flattery is? So we have gossip and slander, and we have flattery. Then we have criticism. And, and criticism, I think, um, tends to stem from a self-righteous attitude. It's a place that, hey, I've, I've figured something out, and good for you. I mean, I'm glad you're growing, and I'm glad you're more obedient than some other people, and maybe you're more faithful, and it's, more, it's easier for you. But it doesn't give us the right to ever boast in our own goodness. We boast in Christ and Him crucified, that His grace is enough, and His power is made perfect in my weakness, not in my strength and my ability. Right, so when we, when we boast in ourselves, though, we start to say, well, look how good I am, which means what? I have to, in order for me to look better, I have to say, what about you? Like, you're kind of not quite there yet, are you? It's hard. It's, hard. it's judging other people, right? This criticism, but it comes from self-righteousness. But there's this idea of criticism, and there's this idea of diminishment, like we diminish other people, put people down. And, and there's this idea of even innuendo, and I, I'm not going to go into depth with this, but the idea of, of speech that comes out of our mouth that's innuendo is unwholesome talk, and then left to the things that are not only unwholesome talk, but also things that are left to the imagination. It's like the, the, the half sentence and then the eye roll. Like, oh, I can't even believe it. <laughs> and you're, you know who we're talking about. You know what we're thinking. But we don't go all the way with it. We just kind of suggest it. That's the, we're critical in some way, right? A judging critical spirit. Proverbs 15, 1-2. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. So again, these critical words that come out of our mouth will stir up wrath. The tongue of the wise man makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. 
Go figure. What, what is foolishness? Or what is a fool? We see a lot of this in Proverbs, right? It's, it's wisdom and foolishness. Let's go first. Let's t- try to find someone who's wise. What, what, is, what is someone who's wise? That they what? They, they fear the Lord, you said? They follow him, okay? They follow statutes. Easy, easy way to think of this. Someone who's wise knows the difference between right and wrong and chooses to do what is what? Right. What's a fool? They know the difference between right and wrong and they, they don't. They care less. They do what they want. And they speak foolishness and they act foolishly. They blurt out foolishness. Uh, and, and so that's why he says knowledge, uh, someone who is, uh, the tongue of a wise man makes knowledge attractive. Like if you're a wise person who chooses what's right and wrong or knows what's right and wrong and chooses what's right, I'm, I'm going to be more apt to want to listen to what you have to say to me, the truth that will come from your mouth. It's, it's attractive versus someone who is a fool and blurts out foolishness. We have those people in our lives probably. You know, maybe, maybe don't look left or right. Don't look, you know. we, we have those people in our life, right, where we know they just rattle on about things they really don't know about. Galatians 5 talks about this, again, this relationship between each other. If you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. The choice morsels we tend to like are each other. We just take big bites out of each other, right? And we're consuming, and, and we argue, and, and we get angry with one another. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger. I'm just going to, here it is, pour it out there. But a wise person holds it in check. It goes back to our, our verse, right? We should all be slow to, or quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Keeping it in check. Checking our heart before we speak, because our, our tongue is going to tell on our heart. It's amazing the ability and the motivation that we have in the body of Christ even to run, run itself down, right? It's a real danger that we, we could be like a forest fire with our tongue. So what's the solution? There are some things that we can do. I'm going to read a few scriptures to you about that. We're just about out of time. And uh, a couple of things for solution. First, I think that we, we understand the wounds of a friend can be trusted, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be kissed by an enemy. I want the wounds of a friend. So find yourself a friend who's loving and compassionate and gracious and gentle with their speech and they're wise and that can speak truth in your life and trust those things. Uh, there are a lot of people in my life, not all of them, I give the right or authority to speak those, speak, let, let their words speak truth into my life. Every, everyone seems to want to speak, but I only let those who I believe are trustworthy friends impact me and, and, and sharpen me and push me towards Jesus. Um, Psalm 141, 3 and 4. Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Here's a solution, right? A prayer. Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Do not let my heart turn away uh, or turn to any evil thing or perform wicked acts with evildoers. Do not let me feast on their delicacies. They're the delicacies of the world and they're the delicacies of the Lord. We are to feast on the Lord and what he has for us. And the prayer is, Lord, shut my mouth. Lord, shut my mouth. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what, what is beneficial for building up those according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. So we check our mouths. I'll give you a, a list of a few other things here. Um, I have, yeah, go this way. Um, here's, here are some disciplines that we can have. Uh, we can discipline ourselves to perpetually and lovingly speak the truth in love, right? We speak the truth in love. 
uh, refrain from being party uh, to or a conduit of gossip. I'm going to just back out of that. I'm going to step away from that. Um, I think what would be really hard to do, and, and, we've, and I've, I've tried to incorporate this in my own life as a discipline, to not only refrain from it, but, to, but if I have a close group of friends, it's easier to gossip with close groups of friends. Right? So, so we have to. We have to come out and say, listen, this is probably not something we should be sharing. This is probably not for us to share. Let's stop talking about this. And it takes, it takes guts. It takes courage, but it's the right thing to do. Um, refrain from insincere flattery. Refrain from running other people down. That's James 11, 4.11. Uh, refrain from uh, any degrading humor. See in Ephesians 4.29. Refrain from sarcasm. Right? And I think there's, there's jest that people understand and get, but I've had, to, I've had to apologize so often for my sarcasm at times. Like I, I'm sarcastic with the wrong people at the wrong time. And, and usually what it is, I don't get a chance to kind of finish it up and, and close it out. So I've, I, I need to be, be able to or clean it up. With my friends, they understand, they get it, that I'm joking, it's fun and games. With people that, that aren't so close, man, I've got to not be sarcastic. Uh, then finally, to memorize Scripture, uh, passages that teach us the proper way to use our tongue, uh, and things that I've, I've put out today, things that uh, Dr. Holst mentioned last week as well. We need to discipline our tongue for purposes of godliness. Charles Spurgeon says this, He who keeps the tongue can keep his soul. He who keeps his tongue can keep his soul. Um, I am not going to go there. Any, any, any further questions about that? We'll have, we'll have a Q&A in just a minute too, but yeah, Jeannie, go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll have our question and answer time. Father, thank you so much for your word and how powerful it is. Thank you for um, even, even a hard topic like this, Lord, that uh, probably convicts uh, most of us, if not all of us, in different ways. But God, help us to, to get a reign over our tongue, but let, to let you have reign over our tongue, to let your word and your spirit have reign over us. And God, to let people in our lives that, that are spirit-filled believers, we, that we'd surround ourselves with those types of people who, were, who will help keep us in check as well. And that, God, we would move together, not devouring one another, not creating conflict or stirring up strife. God, we don't want our tongue, as powerful as it is, to be a wildfire of destruction. Help us avoid that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.